you also said people think they're feeling on what they need to spend on once they get the salary. But there is a huge difference in thinking what you're spending and what you're actually spending. In this podcast, we take you with us on a journey about economics and investing. By being equipped with different perspectives, we strive to make better and more informed financial decisions. Welcome to Capital Convos. All right, so Diego, I've heard this statement. Perhaps you can give me your opinion on it. They say that if you don't know what your spending habits are, then you're being controlled by your spending habits, not the other way around. What would you say to that? First of all, let's look at what spending habits are. The first component in your statement there was what are spending habits? And the second component is you said you are being controlled by your spending habits. So if, if you take a step back and look at what spending habits are and uh, on a more fundamental level, what habits are. To make this clear with an example, what would you define maybe for yourself as a spending habit, be it good or bad? Because that's probably where this is going to lead into because being controlled by your spending habits is something bad in that context. I would say a spending habit is a routine purchase that you make or a routine way that you allocate your money. I think that's a fair point. Uh, a routine, yeah. Habits are something that on a more fundamental level is something that the human brain, you know, automates. We are efficient beings and habits are a tool or a, how do you call this? Yeah. A, a model that the brain creates and uses to expend less resources. It's getting a bit technical, but bear with me to expend less resources to do things automatically. So you have more time and focus for other things. So it eliminates the energy and time investment that you'd have to do in certain tech. So if you're talking about spending habits, you don't need to think twice to pay for groceries, for example, because that is something you have to do on a weekly, daily basis, but that where the habit box comes in, what do you buy? Do you, do you buy the same set of groceries, you know, bread, milk, fruit on a regular schedule every three days? Or do you buy, you know, you go crazy, you buy so much candy and stuff and you just go with your feeling and then you spend 10x what you normally spend. So what would you need? So in, in the first instance, for example, you have the fixed routine, like every three days you go to the store to buy bread, milk, fruit. You don't even need to think about what you need to buy anymore. That the moment you step into that store, you know what to buy like that. But the moment you have to think, okay, I need this, I need that. That's how do you call it? That's putting stress or, you know, thinking into the process. So the habit removes that equation to do things automatically. And to come back to your beginning statement that eventually habits can control how you spend money. Usually this is seen in a negative context, but it can also be seen in a positive context if you cultivate good habits. That's pretty interesting. So you're saying that there's some part of your spending that is gonna be habitual. There's no way to get around it because there it's just the daily mundane tasks that you need to perform. But that doesn't mean 
that you need to be subservient to those habits does, or if you build up the correct ways of habitually doing things that they could actually be a benefit because if you don't think about doing something good, or let me say it better. If you don't think about doing bad things, that's actually way better because you don't even consider doing them. That's better than consciously doing good things. Does that make sense? That means you don't even consider wasting your money on things that are inefficient. Exactly. I think that makes perfect sense if I think about it. Yeah. And just to quickly load. So you, in this example, we, we talked a bit more on spending, right? But the first thing that, you know, the traditional perspective, when you look at financial management, uh, habits on, on money, it's usually on a savings part. And I do think you noted an important thing there. Not many people talk enough about how to spend money, but I think for this to, to cover the basics first, let's focus on the saving money part, right? So I think for regular nine to five workers with a set income, this is easier to grasp because you have predictability in there. And with predictability comes uh, better or easier planning. So if, if I say budgeting, personal finance, cutting costs, what do you think about? I would say at least noting down what the expenses are you have every day or every week, and then just look at it, just see what you're spending your money on and see what the alternatives are and see if whatever money you're spending on those products are worth it based on all the alternatives. Yeah. The great point again, you're sharp today, man. You said record or notes every day, right? To what you spend. Basically yeah. making a, a diary or a ledger or something to have an overview of what you did. Yeah, because everyone, when you get your salary at the end of the month, you have a rough estimate of how much you're going to spend on groceries, how much you're going to spend on gas, but you don't know exactly. And if you don't know exactly, you you don't know how you can be more efficient in your spending. Efficiency, there we have it again. And valid point. We talked about, you know, the efficiency part. And you also said people think they're feeling on what they need to spend on once they get their salary. But there is a huge difference in thinking what you're spending and what you're actually spending. There is a perceived value of what's going out. And if you don't sit down and write those things, your monthly expenses, daily expenses, the more, you know, uh, minuscule you can go, the better, but I, I get it gets tedious at a point, but as a first step to getting control of your habits, your spending habits, I think that is a good first step. Make an estimate, start with a monthly budget. What I did when I was uh, abroad, you know, that student life. That's actually where you learn how to budget and plan because every month you have a set amount of money that you get or just have either you work or you're on a scholarship or you get from your parents as an allowance when you're a student, right? So you 
have to, with this limited amount of resources, have to survive for a month. And tracking down all of those expenses gave me a clear overview, like, okay, I'm estimating about $300 per month for food. You know, obviously not every time you're going to meet that target, but just, just the anchor for yourself. Like, okay, when you're nearing it, you're almost at 250, 280, but you're halfway the month in. You need to spend the next half of the month with only 20 bucks left. Yeah. And if you put that on a big picture scale, you have the people that live paycheck to paycheck and they don't have any way to save their money, invest their money. And if they can't do that, they can't even start climbing up the food chain because they barely make enough to make ends meet. But even those people can find a way to save money somewhere. And if you just start by writing down what you spend your money on, guaranteed you can find somewhere to start. If you want to get that into control, I really, I cannot recommend it enough. Note it down. That is where you're, you know, confront yourself. If you haven't done this before, it's not always easy. All right. So let's, let's take a practical example. Let's say you get your money at the end of the month. You, you say about, I don't know, 40%, 50% goes to groceries, 10% goes to savings. Another 20% perhaps goes to, goes to gas or going out with your friends. And then whatever's left over, you just, I don't know, you buy some cool stuff cause you, cause you work to enjoy your life. All right. Let's say we have that kind of paradigm. Where do you, would you start to see where you can save some, or how do you even know if the way you're spending your money is the most optimal and efficient way to spend your money? If you're talking about those types of costs, I say, look at your biggest, the one single or one biggest expense you have. And usually that's for most people, that's either rent or paying off debt mortgage, you know, housing basically. And from my experience, if you pay more than half of your income, your monthly steady salary income on housing, you're at the edge of what it should be. It's either you're living above your means or you're just not making enough money. Yeah. Cause I've heard the average should be around a third of your salary goes to living costs. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. That, that's a good uh, rule of thumb. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, a third. The more you can minimize that, the greater. That's basically money you can spend elsewhere. But if you're reaching that 50% point, you need to reconsider downsizing or finding ways to increase your income. All right. So let's say you're an adult. What is the average way they spend their money? Because you said around a third of your income goes to housing. Okay, great. And then how would, is the other two thirds distributed? I'd say the next biggest expense is then you just your living costs, you know, food. I'd say that's around maybe 10%, 10 to 15%, depending on how lavishly you live and based on your diet. But one thing that's often overlooked are the phantom costs. With phantom costs, I mean, things like you have the regular bills, you know, electricity, phone and stuff, but there's also costs that kind of creep up slowly. That's something that's easily overlooked and phantom costs are costs that aren't very obvious, like uh, kind of added fees on some transaction. It is very minimal, but one huge phantom cost that you should know about actually is the cost of inflation. 
Oh boy. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a big so imagine, you know, you got a house or, you know, are you paying for a house for 200 K and plan on selling it for 400 K you don't make 200 K profit. There's a lot of logistics that goes into that. You have to pay the real estate agent to maybe list it. So part of that goes away. But then if you spread that over, you know, maybe five to 10 years, then you have the inflation cost. It's 200 K, but the cost of inflation, you know, inflation rise. So your purchasing power also decreased. So that is something very often overlooked, but that's on a more macro scale, but it is an important one, especially for, uh, huge expenses. That's where you have to pay in mind. Okay. So in the beginning, you mentioned you look at your biggest costs first, and then you just mentioned phantom costs. So the things you, we don't really think, think twice for, but it's like a, a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. It just groups in. Yes, exactly. And you don't even notice it, but when you look at your end statement and you notice how little money you have left over, you know, something's up, but you, you can't quite put your finger on it. All right. So would you suggest someone start off with the big ones first or just look at all the little small ones because when, when someone's just starting off, we, we can give them all this information, but just like a three-step program, for example, to save a hundred dollars a month. Okay. For this, for the savings part and expenses part, what we just talked about, I had to recommend just one thing. And if it's just one thing that a person listening to this could take away is yes, look at your single or two single most expensive costs. I'd say the, it's, it's great to cut back on the little cost, you know, not going out for coffee or not eating out. You save a ten dollar here, a five dollar there, but over time and with ease of mind, getting or addressing that biggest cost is gonna save you much headache and give you more clarity in the long term. Another example, maybe that's more practical for just people here. Imagine you live in the suburbs, maybe. You know, if you're taking Suriname, for example, Wanika, it's, it's another district. To get to the city, you need to drive one, one and a half hour, depending on traffic. So you have a lot of fuel consumption there. Not just fuel consumption, but also time. And your rent at the place, you're living there in the outskirts, it's maybe half of what you'd pay in the center of the city just to live next to your workplace. So imagine over time, you pay less for rent, but over time, your transportation accumulates in time and expenses. If you were to live in the city, maybe a block away from your place, you can just walk. So that eliminates the travel costs almost completely, saves you time. And why you don't need a car in the first place? Exactly. And even though you're paying more for rent. If you look at the end statement, you'd still be better off with the total expenses you get. Whoa, that is some big picture stuff. Yeah. Cause, cause I see people, they don't want to go out and enjoy their life because they have the mindset that they're saving money. And at best they're saving $10, $20, 
But then when Monday comes and they need to go to work, they spend one and a half to two hours driving to work and then one and a half, two hours driving back home to work. It makes no sense. All right. So you're saying, look at your biggest expenses and see how you can divide it up more efficiently. Yeah. All right. Just address it. If you can eliminate it completely, great. So maybe not just the biggest, two biggest, maybe they're integrated like that example from, you know, rent and transportation. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you can address those biggest costs early on, you won't have to worry so much about the little cost and you can live a little because in the end, what is money for? It is just the tools to transact and to be able to live, right? It's, it's great that you bring that up because we can tell you what you should prioritize in your life. We're just saying that when you look at your current priorities, just list them and see how you can divide up your money more efficiently. That's all. And if you don't know what you're spending your money on, just write it down. At least you'll have a picture because honestly, the earlier you start, the better it'll be in the long run. Because just like how you wish someone would have thought, thought you how to spend your money, I'm pretty sure your kids will be happy if you teach them from an early age how to spend their money. And then that's the cycle to generational wealth. And I think uh, another great example, like maybe this is, you know, the, the regular nine to five work example with, I, I heard this example on the other podcast, you know, social convos with Chandruk, check that out guys. But in one of the episodes, we had a guest and this guest loved traveling. So if one of your goals is, you know, travel the world, save up for that, it's a goal to strive for. And you're saving up for that. And it was a great example. They said, you know, they lived in a small apartment, uh, 40 square meters, very tiny. They had uh, a cheap car, a uh, fits, and additionally, they did have, you know, TV, no, no big screen TV, just very minimum basic needs, but traveling brought them a lot of joy, a lot of fulfillment. And often they get the question, how are you able to afford travel from their friends surrounding. And the, the response was, didn't you spend X amount on this huge SUV? <laughs> didn't you spend so much on, you know, the, 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 that car? That just goes to show everyone has their own priorities, but it is a conscious decision to see costs on some places and, you know, allocate it somewhere else that brings you more fulfillment. Or right. if you would save you know, the traditional, the more mainstream thinking is cut cost on going out, cut cost on not buying that coffee. It's $5, but how long would it take for that cutting those costs to accumulate to the same amount that you would save if you just address the biggest cost immediately? That is very interesting. Because honestly, I was also of the mindset, look at, look at the minuscule costs, like instead of buying a liter of beer, just buy half a liter of beer. It, it doesn't really matter in the long run. And wait, no, it matters a bit more in the long run. But looking at the biggest expenses you make every single month and just cutting down on those, those will have a huge impact in the long run. All right, interesting. So those are one of the 
first ways you can start looking at your income and how you spend it. All right. Next, it's all in the buildup of having a mindset that is more aware and being more efficient in the ways that you spend your money. All right. So let's just say you have a little bit, you, you save a little bit more, you save a little bit more. Now, instead of saving 10% of your income every month, you can save 15, 20%. Where would you say would be ideal? Because I, I can see some people would make their life a suffering hell and save 50% of their income just to have that little bit of security in their bank account and say, okay, whatever, if something goes wrong, I'm covered, but that's not a way to live your life. All right. So what would you say a goal amount of savings would be? I wouldn't necessarily put a percentage on it because it's very contextual for each individual. The percentages we mentioned beforehand were, you know, more anchor points on what the average could look like. But obviously everyone's circumstances are different. And yeah, if you try to save 50% of your income and live like, you know, you're barely off the streets, then what's the point of that? So my argument to how much you would save, one, it personally depends on you, but a goal maybe to look forward to, if you're going that route, is to, to not look at it in percentages of how much percent can I save per month? Because depending on your lifestyle, you either need to increase your income or not. Can your income sustain your lifestyle? And then a metric I would use to strive for is if you lose your job and have no income for six months, would you still be able to survive with your current lifestyle? with the amount you see. And I'd say the moment you reach or pass the threshold is the moment you can think more freely about other stuff. Mm -hmm. And this gives you enough time to find another job or try something else. Yeah. Cause also that, that peace of mind would give you more independence over your life saying that you don't need your employer. You can actually afford to find a better option. I think that that would do a lot of people, a lot of good. Especially if you're going from saving, not barely being able to save 10% of your income, you have a few hundred dollars in savings at best. And then you going from there, a start point, and then eventually building your way up, building your way up. And it will also provide some mental discipline because if you can just eliminate the costs you make that are very inefficient. Like driving two hours to work is very inefficient use of your time and resources, right? And that builds a little bit of discipline and you're not even getting to the hard stuff yet. We're not telling you to cut down on your sugar intake, not going out with your friends. We're just telling you not to do stupid things with your money, right? And if you, if you've done that, you can slowly build up to hire things, get more disciplined in your spending. And when you've reached that level, Diego, when you can look, when you go to the store and say, no, this 
bottle of laundry detergent is more efficient than the other one. That's where you can even start saving more. And then you start reaching a point where you maybe have nine months of savings. And then you, you start to become a different person because you see things, you, you start to see patterns. And when you reach that level, are there even more levels to this game, Diego? How high can you go? That leads actually. So what's all the high pressure to the investing? Personal freedom, finance. So if you can achieve that level, the threshold, six, nine months of savings, then you start moving into the realm of what do you do with the excess money? You have a buffer to survive. And that's when you can start looking at, you know, other opportunities on how to make your money work for you. But I think that's, that's a bit out of the scope of the episode we're talking about. We're going to dedicate a single episode on, you know, the investing part of it. But yeah, this, that, that is the entry point to that. And you asked me for three things, right? So I'm going to give you the third one right now. The first one was cut your biggest cost. Look at your biggest, most expensive, the little cost and good, but the biggest cost addressing that will have the biggest impact long-term. The second one, build that buffer up six months, nine months to be able to survive. If somehow your income sources get cut off, you'd still be able to sustain the current lifestyle that you have. And the third one, look at the spending you enjoy the most. It may sound counterintuitive because we're talking about saving and you know, surviving. But look at something you spent a lot on that gives you a lot of enjoyment. For example, say you like fancy clothes. You're very the fashionable type every season. While it's not maybe sustainable, but it's something you enjoy. Make that an effort to be able to splurge on that. Could you please explore that a little bit more. Would you say allocate a certain budget of your income and then just completely go nuts, but go nuts on a certain limit? Is that what you're saying? As in splurged on it, go nuts, even if it's, you know, a $200, $300 t-shirt and you know, that's something you enjoy because you save so much on the, the big cost every once in a while. It's okay because that is what money is for to bring you happiness, enjoyment. If you have that in your mind early, in your budgeting, it is something to work towards as well. So identifying your biggest cost, but also your biggest enjoyment, even if it's somewhat on the pricey side, it will give you perspective and a goal stay towards. Obviously don't overspend, should still be within the buffer. Just go ham every now and then. Yeah, just, just to make yourself feel that you're not working for nothing. You're not doing all this effort for nothing. And, and that's a really good point because everyone has those few things that they really enjoy splurging their money on. And perhaps it's a disproportionate part of your income or it's a very big part of your income. Doesn't really matter if it brings you a lot of fulfillment in life then you should be able to work that into your budget. And I see it with a lot of people is that perhaps 
the, the typical shirt you have in your closet is $10, $20. But then there's this one shirt that's like $200. You really want it and you're ashamed to want it. But that you buy it because it's a, it's an emotional decision and you're happy you bought it, but there's some weird shame, guilt feeling that you're feeling at the back of your head. But we're saying, no, just you shouldn't be ashamed for wanting the things you want. You should just find a way to incorporate that in your budget. And if it's something you enjoy, no one should tell you not to do it. And that's where the balance comes in because personal finance can be fun. Getting your shit together with your money can be fun. It doesn't have to be a chore, but you have to address the elephant in the room. All right. And that's a great way to seal it off, Diego. Thank you very much. The information in this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional financial advice. All content, including text, graphics, and images contained in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not replace a consultation with your financial or tax professional.